What's up, everybody? I'm Pete Mundo, HeartlandCollegeSports.com. It is great to be with you as we recap and react to week six of the Big 12 football season. Almost got uh, lost there. Thank you, Facebook Live. Thank you, YouTube. If you're on YouTube, of course, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button. We've got a lot more video content coming your way, as I've been promising you, even dabbling in the YouTube shorts which is kind of like the Instagram stories. And uh, find us on Instagram and on Twitter as well. Just search Heartland College Sports. And on the podcast, hey, podcast, you know the drill. Rate, review, subscribe helps us grow the show. And leave us a rating and a review. I've got those Heartland College Sports koozies for you. I'm going to uh, flash them right now on Facebook and YouTube so you can see them for yourself. See them right there? Only get those Heartland College Sports koozies by leaving a rating and a review on the podcast and send me a screenshot to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. All right, uh, what a week it was for the Big 12. Let's start off with college game day in Lawrence. You know what, KU fans? You guys put on a good show. And if you told me in August, the weekend of the Red River rivalry, the weekend of Alabama-Texas A&M, that you would see... Kansas hosting college game day, I would tell you you were drunk, stone, crazy, all of the above if you were to try to convince me of that. Yet there it was in Lawrence. The Hill looked great. Lance Leipold did an outstanding interview. Bill Self got the crowd fired up with Pat McAfee. I don't think anybody loves Lawrence, Kansas now like Pat McAfee does. He kept talking about the bar that was giving out free beer at 2 p.m. on Friday. It's like, Pat, didn't you sign a hundred-something million-dollar deal with FanDuel? You should be the guy buying the free beer. My goodness gracious, you're the one that should be buying the beer. Now, I love free beer as much as anybody, but (laughs) I mean, Pat McAfee mentioning the free beer on Fridays in Lawrence like half a dozen times, that was not on my bingo card. I admit that. But overall, it was a great showing for Kansas, for the football program, and now all that's left to do is hand a blank check to Lance Leipold. That's it. That's the only thing that's remaining at the University of Kansas. What a great showing it was on Saturday, and uh, Lawrence looked beautiful on college game day. It was such a sight to see, and it was really exciting to see as well. Now for the game itself. Two takeaways from the game itself when it comes to TCU beating Kansas 38-31. The two takeaways, one for TCU, one for Kansas. For TCU, the takeaway to me is we continue to underrate this TCU team. Now, I know TCU fans are going to scream and say, no, you underrate us. We don't underrate us. That's fine. That's fair criticism. I can handle it. I'm a big boy. But when I say that, what I mean by that is the following. TCU has been mediocre for years. I'm sorry if I can't get it out of my head that I'm expecting TCU to eventually have that mediocre game. But here's the thing. They finally have an offense. If you told me yesterday Kansas was going to score 31, I'd say they would have won the game. But Max Duggan looks as comfortable as he's ever looked in a TCU uniform, and it feels like Max Duggan has been at TCU for a decade. (laughs) It hasn't been a decade, but it feels like it's been a decade. 
but he is as confident, as comfortable as he's ever been at a TCU, and it's just fun to watch. It's fun to watch this guy running the ball. It's fun to watch him throwing the ball. When Max Duggan's throwing for over 300 yards, when he's rushing for 50 and a score, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that you didn't always expect to see from Max Duggan and see from this TCU offense. And it's a breath of fresh air under Sonny Dykes and Garrett Riley and what they're doing. And defensively, you know, we know the strength is on the back end of this defense. I think TCU is a solid defensive line away, front seven away from really being a Big 12 contender. If you want to call them a Big 12 contender right now, I, you know, that, that's fine. They are 5-0, and so I'm not going to argue with it. But I think eventually their inability to get to the quarterback could come back to bite them at some point as you look down the rest of this season. But going on the road, in that environment, packed Booth Stadium, all the juice with KU coming off a of college game day to win that game was impressive for TCU, and they deserve credit for that. Now, on the flip side, I look at this game from the Kansas perspective, and I say Lance Leipold is really building something, and the latest example of that is the fact that he lost his starting quarterback in this game in Jalen Daniels, one of the most explosive players in the Big 12 Conference, and what did he do? He almost won the game with his backup in Jason Bean. Now, Jason Bean had some beautiful passes, notably a touchdown or two that were just right on a dime. But he also had some really bad throws down the home stretch as KU was trying to tie the game up. He missed a couple of easy passes in the flat and passes he should have completed. But the fact that KU is not just winning Big 12 games, competing in the Big 12, and they're doing it in a situation where they've got their backup quarterback running the offense in Jason Bean, that tells you a lot about the depth that Lance Leipold has assembled, about the confidence that he's assembled with this team. It is a heck of a lot of fun to watch. And Kansas fans all over the place should say, we we know we've said it for a month now that no one's going to walk over this Kansas team, but no one's going to walk over this Kansas team when they've got their backup quarterback running the operation. That's telling as well. And that goes to show you that this is a very, very different team and different situation that Kansas has been in in 15 years now is how far you have to go back. And that's what makes this all that much more exciting, uh, despite the fact that Kansas did end up losing the game 38-31 to TCU. Pete Mundo, heartlandcollegesports.com. It is uh, great to be here with you as we roll through another show. So that was the first game. I figured I'd work college game day into the conversation. And then from there, uh, go into the TCU-Kansas game as TCU moves to 5-0. and Kansas losing its first game of the season, uh, falling to 5-1. and Next up, the Red River blowout. Holy cow, that was ugly. This was a historic Red River. Just how bad was the 49-0 beatdown by Texas over Oklahoma? It was the most lopsided defeat in OU Texas history. Oklahoma's uh, most lopsided shutout ever as Texas scored the most points it ever has against Oklahoma. This game marks the first time OU has failed to score in a game since they lost 29-0 to Texas A&M on November 7, 1998. Meantime, the loss was Oklahoma's worst 
since it fell to Nebraska by a score of 69-7 to on November 1st, 1997. Do you remember where you were on November 1st, 1997? I don't. I was eight, uh, nine years old at the time. I don't. I have no idea where I was. You have an entire generation of Oklahoma fans who weren't even alive for the last time Texas struggled this much. Excuse me, Oklahoma struggled this much. Brent Venables is the first Oklahoma coach in the history of the program to lose his first three conference games as OU falls to 3-3 three and three overall and 0-3 oh and in the Big 12 Conference. This team plays zero. I mean, this is the most concerning part. The defense stinks. I was concerned about the offense, especially when Dylan Gabriel wasn't going to play. And they tried out Davis Bevel, and God bless him. I'm sure he's a nice young man. But he had a quarterback rating of 10. He's got no business being on that field running the offense. The moment I knew this game was over was when OU was trailing 21 nothing, And they put together a good drive using the Wildcat. And they're, they're, they're churning and burning the Wildcat. Braden Willis is running it. It's effective. It's working. They're moving down the field with ease. And then right around the red zone, Jeff Lebby, the OC for uh, Oklahoma, decides to call up a jump pass with his running back, Eric Gray, in one of the dumbest play calls I have ever seen in my life. You were rolling. If you're ever going to call that play, you call it at the goal line. But even then, it would have been stupid. They were rolling the Wildcat. And great throws an interception. Texas goes on the score. It's 28-0. The game was effectively over at that point. But Jeff Levy's making 1.8 mil a year, and that's what he drew up right there. Talk about overthinking it. Talk about outsmarting yourself. That was so dumb for so many reasons. And that was the beginning of the end, or that was really effectively the end for OU in that game. Defensively, they're a mess. Three conference games. Oklahoma has given up over 1,700 total yards, allowing over 48 points per game. I mean, they cannot stop anybody. And that's against K-State, TCU, and Texas the last three weeks. It is brutal. Now, I still think Brent Venables is the guy. I'm not jumping off this Venables bandwagon like some people are. You know, I'm not. Uh, This was probably a bigger rebuild than we talked about in the offseason. But uh, you got to admit they're not responding because there's talent here. Uh, It's a rebuild by OU standards. There's talent here. They shouldn't be losing games 49-0 to anybody unless it's like an NFL team. Seriously. They should not be giving up 48 points per game in conference play and allowing over 1,700 yards. There's too much talent there that that shouldn't be happening. No way should that be happening. So, but I will say this, all right, as, as, as much as it's fair to look at this Oklahoma team and say it's a bad team and they're not responding to the coaching staff, Quinn Ewers changes the equation for Texas. Quinn Ewers... What you've seen in one quarter against Alabama and then yesterday on Saturday against Oklahoma, this guy is throwing dimes and running that Sarkeesian offense as well as we've ever seen anybody do it. 
and he looks like the best passer Texas has had going back to Colt McCoy and maybe prior to that. That's how good he looks throwing the football. I mean, he had some throws yesterday that just made you say, those are, those are NFL throws Quinn Ewers making through traffic. Uh, it was beyond impressive, and it makes you wonder if Quinn Ewers doesn't get hurt against Alabama. Is the conversation very different for Texas this year? Is Texas 6-0 and ranked in the top five with a win over Alabama? You know, I, I know it's easy to say this, or it's very what-if to say this, but does Quinn Ewers lead Texas to a win over Texas Tech? It's just, I know it's speculation. I'm not taking anything away from the Texas Tech win. I'm just pointing out, this guy is that good. And if he doesn't get hurt against Alabama, you can make a strong case they win that game, and then they beat Texas Tech, and Texas is 6-0, and ranked in the top five, and the conversation around Austin and around the season for Texas is very, very different. I am that impressed with Quinn Ewers. I'm not overreacting to one game um, you know, involving Texas because we know Texas has always had the talent. It's never been a talent issue for the Texas Longhorns. It's been a consistency issue. And if they go drop the ball against Iowa State next week, then, you know, obviously we're going to say same old Texas. But, man, Quinn Ewers is good. He's exciting. And he can sling it, man. He's got the swagger, too. He's got the mullet. He's fun to watch. And it's fun to watch him orchestrate this Texas offense and what a historic Red River it was in all the wrong ways for uh, for the Oklahoma Sooners. Next up in uh, week six in the Big 12 Conference, Oklahoma State beating Texas Tech 41-31. So the story to me is about the losing team and Baron Morton. Is that guy the answer at quarterback for Texas Tech? Is he the best quarterback on the Texas Tech roster? I, you know, based on what I saw, if I'm Joey McGuire, I, that's the guy I want to play. The redshirt freshman quarterback, Baron Morton, former four-star guy, big dude, Texas kid. Uh, I just saw more from him and a higher ceiling from him than what I saw from Donovan Smith. And I can't tell with Tyler Shuck because the guy barely plays because he's always getting hurt. But I'm looking at that dude, and even Mike Gundy said after the game, uh, I think he asked the reporters what year that guy was, and and they're like, uh, sir, he's a redshirt freshman. He's like, well, that's bad for us. <laughs> I mean, he's got no offensive line. Texas Tech's offensive line is terrible. And while Baron Morton did throw an interception late in the third quarter that led to Oklahoma State's field goal that put him up 34-31, which eventually was enough to win them the game, Baron Morton, I would say, is the reason they were still in that game at that point. Guy threw for 379 yards. He was 39 of 62. This is despite the fact that he was sacked four times and was hurried 14. Oklahoma State had 14 quarterback hurries on the afternoon. That's how much Texas Tech's offensive line was struggling with Oklahoma State's front seven, which is, especially that defensive line, one of the best in the Big 12. Brock Martin was all over the place. Three tackles for loss, three sacks. He was rolling through that uh, offensive line for the uh, Texas Tech Red Raiders. And we know that unit struggles. But man, Barrett Morton was spreading it around the field. Uh, He looks really, really good. And Texas Tech's defense does, does deserve credit as well for keeping them in that game. 
they did hold, you know, Texas Tech outgained Oklahoma State in this game. I know I, you probably don't remember that or realize that. I mean, I'm sure the diehards who are watching do, but Texas Tech outgained Oklahoma State in this game. And Oklahoma State, home field, veteran quarterback and Spencer Sanders got the job done along with that defensive line. But man, this was a really good game. Oklahoma State jumps out to a big lead, then Texas Tech takes the lead, and then second half, Cowboys kind of uh, put their foot to the pedal, so to speak, and continue to roll. On Facebook Live, Elijah, can we admit Tech is not a bad team? At least not yet. Their only losses were to ranked teams, which are still ranked. I don't think they're a bad team, but I do think they're going to struggle in the rest of the way in the Big 12. They're a, they're a solid team. They've played five ranked opponents in a row. That's tough. That is a tough sledding for Texas Tech. I'm not taking anything away from this team. They're not bad, but here's the thing. In the Big 12, in the Big 12 conference, you can be a solid team, and they may still you know, finish 6-6. Six and six. I'm not predicting that right now. I'm just saying that's what the Big 12 is. Someone asked me, Uh, If the Big 12 could have 10 teams go bowling, could you imagine? I don't see it happening right now, but it's entirely possible. The Big 12 could have, yes, 10 of 10 teams go to bowl games, which would be crazy awesome. That's the kind of year it is for the Big 12 this season. This league is absolutely loaded. Absolutely loaded. And it is so much fun if you're a fan of this conference to watch this thing week in, week out. No doubt about that. But Oklahoma State does improve to 5-0 and uh, after that win over Texas Tech. And it just seems like this Dust Bowl, I'm not trying to force any rivalries, but this matchup has really gotten good. These two teams, they seem to play high-scoring, pretty close games. Five of the last eight games between Oklahoma State and Texas Tech decided by 10 points or less. It's fun. And as I look, as I look to the future of the Big 12, matchups I'm going to like, once again, not trying to force a rivalry, but there's a lot of commonalities culturally and otherwise between Tech and Oklahoma State. And I, uh, I like this matchup. I like this one as a highlight and a staple of a future Big 12 matchups once the new Big 12 does come into play. Next up, the last game of the day was Farmageddon. Kansas State beating Iowa State 10-9 in the most Farmageddon game ever. I thought we were going to have a barn burner. I figured K-State 20, Iowa State 13 was my prediction. So I got K-State winning right. I just didn't get the score right. You know, I thought they'd score a combined 30 points. Uh, Boy, was I blowing that one out of the water. It was 19. Now, uh, Chris Kleiman was as emotional as you've ever seen him at the end of that game. I mean, he was fired up on the sidelines, hugging his AD, Gene Taylor. He was lit coming out with that game, coming out with that win. But I will tell you, um, Iowa State, for the second week in a row, feels like it lost the game. On that final drive, Xavier Hutchinson dropped a pass. He probably catches 98 out of 100 times along the left sideline. Would have been a first down put him in uh, not quite field goal range, but it was inside the 30-yard line. If Xavier Hutchinson catches that ball, does Iowa State go on to kick a field goal and win? Does Jace Gilbert kick his fourth field goal of the night straight through and win the game and become the hero 
one week after he was considered the dog in the loss to Kansas two weeks ago? Who knows? And I'm not taking anything away from Kansas State, but you look at the last couple of weeks for Iowa State and you say, boy, what could have been? Iowa State could be sitting here right now 5-1 and one overall and 2-1 and, 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 uh, and one in Big 12 play. Instead, they're 3-3 three and three on the season, 0-3 oh in the Big 12 uh, right now. I know that fans, Iowa State fans, want to rag on the offense, on Tom Manning. Criticism is fair, very fair. But Tom Manning is not going anywhere. He is a high school teammate of Matt Campbell. They have been together for decades now at this point, right? They've known each other for decades. They've been together for years and years and years. I don't see that changing. The offensive line needs work. The running game needs work. You don't have Brees Hall back there anymore. But at the same time, Matt Campbell called out Iowa State fans in a way that he really never has. Matt Campbell, uh, we wrote about it on the website at heartlandcollegesports.com, basically said, you know, we had a fan base that fried an 18-year-old kicker last week in Jace Gilbert because he missed three field goals against Kansas, and he came back and he hit three tonight. We're so proud of the guy, blah, blah, blah. For a guy that picks and chooses his words very carefully, that's as close as you'll get to Matt Campbell getting upset and frustrated with the fan base. But he clearly is, and he has a right to be. Iowa State football is in a rebuild of a year. Now, that doesn't mean what Iowa State football meant to be rebuilding 10 years ago. They lost multiple guys to the NFL draft. Let me repeat that. Iowa State lost multiple guys to the NFL draft. Guys who are starting in the NFL right now, like Brees Hall. You are a couple of plays away from being 5-1 and one overall and 2-1 and one in the Big 12, and the conversation's very different. So I think a deep breath is needed. I understand frustrations with the offense. Some people are going to say we're upset with the coaching staff for putting Gilbert in that position last week against Kansas where he missed those three field goals. Whatever. But we have got to look at the big picture here. Matt Campbell is the best thing to happen to Iowa State football. It doesn't mean he's God. No one's saying he is. But he deserves the benefit of the doubt. And if you watch these games... A play here, a play there by, you know, an 18 to 22 year old completely changes your outlook on the season as this team tries to get better and better and better under a lot of new pieces. I think that perspective is important for Iowa State right now. And for Kansas State, you know, look at where we're at right now for the Wildcats and Chris Kleiman is having the year that he knows he's got to have. You know, he's in he's now a, a few years in. He's got his guys. He's got a veteran quarterback in Adrian Martinez. He's got the last year of having Deuce Vaughn, who's going to be playing on Sundays. Chris Kleiman needs this year. And he's off to a great start at 5-1. and one. And, you know, the defense is really good. Uh, the offense did enough. And let's be honest, too. The one touchdown of the game, the Adrian Martinez, you know, 81-yarder to Phillip Brooks, hey, Martinez dodges a couple sacks. He kind of flings it up there. I'm not saying it's luck. It's a heck of a play, but, you know, a lot has to go right for that thing to end up 81 yards in the end zone. So all these things are important to give perspective on, first off, how tough the Big 12 is, how deep the Big 12 is, and these games are being decided by a bounce here, a bounce there. 
And I, every fan base, I believe, actually, you know, can, can benefit from a message like that. Not taking anything away from someone who's in first place. I'm not giving excuses to anyone who's in last place. But, man, the, the advanced analytics show it that this Big 12 conference, top to bottom, is uh, right up there with the SEC, neck and neck with the SEC as the best conference in college football. There are no weeks off, as the old cliche is, which I hate the cliches, but it's true this year in the Big 12. SEC teams, Big 10 teams, Pac-12 and ACC teams, all of a week off, even in the conference schedule. Those don't exist in the Big 12. They are nowhere to be found in the Big 12. And um, you know what? That means it's just going to be a dogfight each and every single week. There you go. Pete Mundo, heartlandcollegesports.com. Thank you guys for always being a part of the show. Uh, It's you. It's me. We're independently owned and operated. We're reaching now millions of Big 12 fans every single week or every single month. I wish it was week. We'll get there every single week because of you. I remember it was me and a laptop and like, 10 people reading these stories. Now we've got millions every month reading, watching on YouTube, subscribe to the YouTube channel, uh, liking our videos on YouTube, of course, helps as well. On the podcast, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, thank you. And if you want this koozie, these Heartland College Sports koozies that I just put up to the screen on Facebook and YouTube, uh, just leave a rating and a review, subscribe to the podcast, send me a screenshot to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O at heartlandcollegesports.com. So appreciate you guys being a part of the show. Subscribe wherever you're getting our content. It really does help in a bigger way than you realize. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Enjoy the rest of your day. We'll talk to you guys soon. Take care. Go Big 12.